an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 921. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, which will allow you to transform your brain ideas into a physically manifested web presence. Whether it's your work or, or, or selling products or a blog, any kind of services, just a few clicks. Customize everything from look and feel to settings and products. Use amazing templates created by world-class designers. And then you don't install anything. You just... You just put it up there. You don't have to patch anything or upgrade anything ever. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code NERDIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Um, I'm going to be performing, by the way, at Helium in Portland as I'm putting together this new set for the next uh, special, which I'll, I don't know, maybe tape that in like a year or so. But anyway, I'll be at Helium Portland December 7, 8, 9. Uh, Mike Furman's coming with me. And uh, there'll be some music and some stand-up, and it'll be fun. So uh, just uh, go to Helium Portland's website, buy tickets, come to that, December 7, 8, 9. Katie, what's happening in the Nerdist Community Corkboard? We got a couple cool things today. So Greg Murray is a professional photographer in Cleveland, Ohio. Fuck yeah, he, he is. takes pictures of dogs. Uh-oh. And they're amazing. He has a book out called Peanut Butter Dogs, which is just funny pictures of dogs eating peanut butter. I, brought, I bought it for my nephew, and he just laughs at it nonstop. He loves it. He also just came out with his 2018 calendar featuring even more of it, uh, adorable dogs and all the proceeds will go to the Happy Dog Foundation. And he's available to hire to take pictures of your dog if you live in the Cleveland area. So to find out more info about how to hire Greg or where to buy the book or calendar or just to see adorable pictures, check out gmurrayphoto.com and follow him on Instagram at the Greg Murray. And then also, uh, Jason Brent writes, there's some really cool things happening in Detroit and the Detroit-ish areas coming up December 7th through 10th is the Big Time Garbage Fest, a new comedy festival organized by some of the top show producers in the area. We are so happy to have Todd Barry, uh, Annie Lederman, and a bunch of other really cool comics there. A $50 weekend pass gets you into all three headliner shows. There's also going to be plenty of shows to see local favorites, including a showcase devoted to the women and LGBT voices in their scene they're really excited about it so check out bigtimegarbagefest.com to find out more info on how to get tickets thanks katie levine um this episode is seth rogan who is this is the third this is a third time this is a three-peat seth rogan um seth's great seth is just such a fucking cool guy he's one of those guys when you talk to him you're like thank you for (laughs) being famous 
and being someone that yeah. I can rely on and to be cool. And he's also like exactly how you think he's going to be. He's, he's so great. cool. He's just such a sweet guy. Uh, he's promoting The Disaster Artist. I'm so excited for that movie. Which is, I'm beyond excited Which for is it. all about The Room. James yes. Franco plays Tommy Wiseau. Uh, it's in theaters Friday, December 1st. Also, uh, Preacher will be coming back yeah. on AMC. And he's also uh, producing uh, Future Man, which is on Hulu yes. right now. He's a busy guy. He's a very busy guy. He is like a... <laughs> it's really like... There are there are a handful of really productive stoners. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, like weed dudes them. who make a lot of stuff. It's like him and Doug Benson and yeah. Kevin Smith. I'm sure there's more, but it's like you know, there's like a whole new. It's like b- breaking they're giving, the old. They're giving stoners a new name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, you can be a stoner. You can like <laughs> weed and do cool shit and do a lot of amazing yeah. stuff. I was never that person. <laughs> the only thing I accomplished the the only the couple of times that I smoked weed when I was young was. Uh, just sitting in a corner and uh, thinking I should go to the hospital. Uh, that's, that didn't really... Yeah, don't smoke weed anymore. Didn't really work. Don't didn't really work out for her. <laughs> Lydia tried it once when she was young, and she went blind temporarily. So we're both not real good <laughs> on the 420 biz. Uh, but Seth Rogen is a goddamn delight. And it's very nice for him to come back on the program. Uh, Jonah Ray sat in on this he one, was. too. He's been st- coming around more. Yeah, yeah Matt Myra's still MIA. No, he. We don't know where he is. No he's one has in, but any he's idea. In, but he's on an airplane right now, on his way to or from somewhere. This episode brought to you by Stamps.com. Uh, it is the holiday time. It is lots of mail in the very, mail. Very busy people. A lot of packages. A lot of stuff. And uh, just let's just focus on your peace of mind and convenience and happiness. Use Stamps.com. You don't need to leave your home. Bring all the services of the post office right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter package, class of mail, using your own computer, using your own printer. Uh, Your mail carrier is going to pick it up. Make sure to give your mail carrier a nice little extra envelope for the holidays. Take care of them. They bring your mail all the time. It's not an easy job, and they just... It doesn't just appear in your box. They pick it up and they bring it to you. So um, Stamps.com is going to send you a digital scale. They're automatically going to calculate the exact postage you need. And they're going to help you decide the best class of mail based on your specific needs. So any time of day, Stamps.com is always open and there's no line. There there's isn't. no line. And, and you're just, you're in your home already wrapping the gifts. Just put them in the box, print the stamp. Wrap, and you're print, done. mail, wrap, print, mail, and then repeat. Right now, you can enjoy Stamps.com using a special offer that includes a four week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist. That's Stamps.com into the promo code Nerdist. And now, Katie Levine, as you have so many times before, please roll the thing on episode 921, Seth Rogen of the Nerdist Podcast. Now entering Nerdist.com. Yeah, I was, uh, we, were, we were very uncomfortable coming in and just seeing like a bunch of suited uh, yeah, dudes in suits. Yeah, it was really scary. It was weird. It was incredibly weird. We just, I just assumed like, oh, this is... This, this is James Franco. This is James yeah. Franco. <laughs> <laughs> that interview movie really yeah. had lasting effects. Yeah, no. <laughs> we're together. They have to... <laughs> yeah. Is he floating around somewhere else in the hotel mm-hmm. doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, is... Paul Shear's in the movie, too. Paul Shear's in it. Fucking yeah. love Paul Shear. Everybody. We Shearzy. got them all. Man. It's a big cast. When did you guys decide to... When, 
I mean, people ask me how I have time to do stuff, but then I look at you, yeah, and I d- and We're both I busy. I have the same question because I feel like you do more. I do a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I look at you and I think that guy's doing a lot of shit. Also, <laughs> um, I. I just work a lot constantly on, uh, but I really like the stuff we're doing. And so it doesn't, you know, I wish we could do more, honestly. Like I, there's ideas we have that we don't have enough time to do and ideas that me and Evan wish we could write, but we're working on other things that we're writing. You know, um, we just, it's nice when you, when there's a lot of ideas around and then you have the ability to get some of them made, um, We'll keep trying to do that, you know. Um, it, it really, yeah. I mean, we we enjoy it. I think that's like the key is we have like a really good time doing it. We like the stuff that we're making, and so it doesn't feel like a chore to do as much of it as we humanly can. You're gonna be you one know? of those Mel Brooks guys that at like 92 is like, I'm doing a musical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, nice. If I'm 92, yeah, I'll be I'll, I'll be singing. <laughs> that's what keeps just making it there. Yeah. But that's what that's what keeps I think that's what keeps people alive and lucid is just constantly You always constant... hear those stories of like a guy that like worked way longer than he should have and then he finally retires and then, and then they die. And yeah. Just like, 100%. They, just, they yeah. just rot like a banana. They yeah, say that you need to have something to look forward to. No, yeah. for sure. And I think it's nice to, like, this is one of the few jobs that you can work until you die. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> like, as, long, people, as long as your mind's engaged, yeah. you're, like, you're still on the vine. Yeah, the yeah 100%. you pluck yourself off the vine, it's like the just the rotting process starts. Yes. Yeah, but, like, people, like, I'd put Mel Brooks in a movie in a second if he, you know, if he would do it. I doubt yeah. he would. But I like, guarantee you he would. Yeah. Are you Maybe. kidding me? We tried that to get him on a season of Meltdown because we're just like, well, Stuart Cornfeld knows Mel Brooks. Yeah, so you yeah. can ask him, and he was just like, uh, he was just like, he's not going to do it. He's lazy. He doesn't. <laughs> he just wants to go to his office during the day and hang out with his grandkid. I get that. You know yeah. what, though? And, and Carl. He hangs out with Carl. Like yeah, he and yeah, Carl exactly. hang out every night still. Which is so crazy. It yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, Preacher did just get renewed for season three. Uh-huh. I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think that was going to be an issue. The show is fucking amazing. No, thank God. Yeah. It's one of those things I think they had, like, internal deals to sure, work sure, out. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. But uh, that's why it took a long time. Yeah, but I think people I'm need... so happy it did. Yeah, thank God. People need to understand something about the entertainment business, which is, when in doubt, lawyers. When people are like, exactly. how come you don't? What's happening? Why yeah. is it taking so long? Yeah. There's some like lawyer shit happening. <laughs> yeah. There was lawyer shit happening. Uh, but it worked out. It's happening. They're like, yeah, we just, I actually just got the first outline for the first uh, episode. That's like, great. That show is so, I genuinely, and I don't have to say this, I really don't. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing Talking Preacher at the moment. <laughs> I wouldn't have brought it up if I didn't feel this way. But. You know, watching especially the transition between the first season and the second season and really seeing everyone lock in. Yeah. And you guys are dealing with some actually despite the fact that the the that the the filter on the show is so surreal and almost cartoonish. Yeah. The performances are great and there's really like heavy shit that everyone's dealing with. Yeah. No, it's been thank you. Uh yeah, it was a real you know, I think the tone of to us of the show is like maybe like one of the more unique elements of it and balancing comedy and horror and action and intense drama and kind of these philosophical elements and things like that and and that's what the comic does so well more than anything is it's like and I think that's why I loved it so much is is it 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 was everything like yeah. it, it felt like it included every single genre um, which is why me and Evan were so drawn to it. And then, you know, the cast is just so incredible. 
and they all ground it so much in like a heavy emotional reality. But yeah, I mean, between the first season and second season, we really tried to kind of up the ante, and we we realized like we took some big swings, and they seem to work. So what if we just try to take more big swings? And now I think as we go into the third season, there's probably like another evolution that the show can take. I think nice. to kind of balance to kind of make it even a, a, a stranger mix of things you I know? mean on paper it's a rough sh- it's a rough show to try to figure out because there's you're asking a lot of the audience to go like okay there's this guy and he's sort of possessed by this yeah. this creature and there's a battle with heaven and there's a vampire and yeah. there's an outlaw yeah. and there's a, a, a dead killer you know yeah so there's so many elements but I thought that the show really focused in season two so you who are you are you and Evan writing the next season? No, uh, Sam Catlin does Sam, all. Of Sam it, does uh, all of the writing. Yeah. We just talk to him a lot, right? And complain to him a lot, basically. Yeah. <laughs> about, uh, but we have a very good dynamic, and um, yeah, and we just we're very open about, and so is he about look. And that's one of the cool things about a TV show, which we haven't experienced in movies, is you can look back at it and think like. How could we improve this? Like, not even with yeah. the implication of like we made mistakes or how? Why did we do this? It's more just like we did it. We all like it. What can we do differently? What else could we do? How could it be even better? You know. And we listen to the. I mean, the cast obviously has a lot of thoughts on that too. So, and their perspective on the character evolves, and so that is something we take into consideration as well. And, um. It's interesting. I mean, it, 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 we've never, you know, we've been making movies a long time, but Preacher's our first TV show that we've been like a big a part, a big part of, and now it's going to the third season, and it's really like it's completely unlike anything we've ever worked on. Like yeah. TV is a very different beast, and both the yeah, I mean, the length that it goes on for it, it, it it's. It's incredible how you can kind of evolve with it. Um, but directorially, it's been amazing because. It's really just allowed us to try to – I think, again, the tone of the show is is kind of the most specific thing. And it's, I think, allowed me and Evan to try things, take really big swings, but also try to balance them in a way that it hopefully feels like a cohesive like piece in some capacity, which – um, has been the most fun for us, I think, of, of a lot of things we've worked on in a really long time. Yes. I, it seems I have this idea. I've been think I've been seeing a lot of series lately where I go, oh, that was like ten episodes that really could have been six episodes. Yeah, and then you just realize like we're kind of in this weird space between filmmaking and then serialized television. Yeah. and what the what's kind of the right amount? So, what are some of the challenges for keeping? Because obviously, I know how hard it is to make things, and so yeah. I'm very forgiving when I go, well, you know, a couple episodes are just going to be like... Filler. Yeah. They're just yeah. going to be a little filler. So, like, what... How do you kind of keep the tentpole action pieces going in each episode to drive each episode and avoid that? I mean, we would just... I mean, again, they they were the ones, the writers, or is the, were they, but, like, we... <laughs> me and Evan pushed very hard for making it feel like it was more than you expected like we were saying we said a lot like it should feel like 13 episodes crammed into 10 right or 15 episodes crammed into 13 or whatever that equation is rather than the opposite it should feel if anything that you're like surprised at the pace things are unfolding rather than you know uh disappointed that the pace things are unfolding and it felt like to us the first season maybe was a little measured in how it was doling things out and so we thought with the second season maybe we could kind of accelerate that a little bit and 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 introduce a lot quickly so 
again, just so it didn't feel like the same, because that was also just something that we talked a lot about. Is like we can change it, so maybe we should make little. Yeah, changes. Sam yeah, Catlin's you know? great yeah. too. Every time he's been on the show, he's just he's a he very, just, seems, just seems like a cool guy. He's a cool guy. He's got a lot of sick things going on in his head. <laughs> <laughs> How do you and Evan write? Do you write together, or do you write in shared Google Docs? I'm, how do you? No. Uh, we only write together. Like, you actually physically have to be together to yeah, write. Like, we try to do it sometimes, not like that. Super bad for a few years. He was, like, in college and I was in L.A., so we'd write over the phone a lot. But, like, we never divide and conquer. Like, we never yeah. say, like... You get like, this scene, I'll get the next yeah, one. Yeah, we never do that. Yeah. We never say, like, you take a stab. Sometimes outlining will we'll kind of pass back and forth and take little stabs on, but, like... It's never nearly as good as when we're actually just sitting in the room doing it together. And so we we mostly write, yeah, just sitting at one computer together, uh, yeah, writing. And it's why it's probably why we haven't written a movie in five or six years because <laughs> we've been busy doing other things and it's really hard to do that. But now... But the truth is we wanted to make a production company and it took a few years to do that. And because of that, by the nature, our time, a lot of it was spent producing and directing TV shows and things like that rather than actually writing. And now uh, we kind of did that. So we're, we're able for the first time in a while to go back uh, and actually start writing again. Nice. Basically. I yeah. think people would probably assume like, well, you can do whatever you want. Is that true? Or do you find that even at this level – you still go, yeah, we can do this, but I really want to be able to do that, and we're just not there yet. Mm, I mean, fortunately for us, the things that have drawn our attention have never been the things that are like prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we've always just tried to make the thing that is like the crazy thing that we think we probably shouldn't be making but right. is actually the thing that like is entertaining us like there's no real strategy like we don't make you know like the, like you don't make the disaster artist in hope of getting to make a weird <laughs> <laughs> one day if we do this well we'll get to make a really weird movie <laughs> like, like everyone is like the is the end game you know um but that being said we have a hard time getting our movies made still like these small movies are not, you know, I say small. We make movies between like 10 and $40 million, right. basically. Um, they're not easy to get made. Like, some of them are, but you, not the ones you would think. And like, a lot of them, yeah, like when we go out with a movie, it's not like a guaranteed slam dunk by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. Like, the fact that we're trying to make movies, comedies for theaters instantly is like <laughs> psychotic. Uh, and you know, people don't have to leave their house anymore, right? Exactly. Yeah, I know, um, but we're trying. <laughs> we're just know. trying. And so it it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always hard to get the maid. Um, uh, almost always hard to get them made, but we everyone is like the one we want to be making, and yeah. like the ideas that were like we can't do that, that's too weird. Those are like the exact ones that we pursue because over the years we found like those are the ones that other people also like the most. Like right. they're the, it's 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 not just us. Like those are the ones that that also do well and get good reviews and stuff like that. Are not are, are the ones that are the ones that for years were just like, this is so fucking crazy, but if we actually do this, it'll be fantastic, we think, you know? Um, it's the ones where we're like, people might like this. Those are the ones that don't go as well. 
<laughs> yeah, you never. I'm yeah. always suspect of ideas where I go, "This is a slam dunk." Yeah, exactly. Because there's yeah. something about this... those ideas that are just too inside your own. It's like the, yeah. it's an inside joke between you and yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This will sell. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah. going to be never. huge. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm dumb. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. None yeah. of our. Yeah, like almost none of our movies have been like that. <laughs> was, there, was there one movie in particular where you were like, this one's going to be huge, and it was, it didn't pan out as well as you thought it was going to? Um, I'm trying to think. Because um, to me, I feel like all your movies, like... I'm like, they're, it's... They all do pretty well. They do okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had, you know... You're I've been, struggling to find a failure. I've been very, <laughs> no, I've been trying to, I'm struggling to find a failure that I truly don't believe deserved to have been a failure in some capacity. <laughs> disappointed when our movies come out because like, <laughs> like and I've learned over the years not to be but and I think when I was younger I was I did not appreciate it as much as I should have and now when I have a movie that comes out and does well and is well received I like make a very conscious <laughs> like appreciate this this yeah. is not something that happens all the time don't take this for granted by any means at all um but you never do – but I, I, I actually like I, – you never know. I remember thinking like 50-50 might be a movie that was going to do really well. And it did like – and then looking back, it did pretty well for yeah, like yeah. a cheap movie. But it was like in an era of like those Juno-type movies and part right. of me was like, oh, maybe it will become one of those type movies. And I remember being very – upset the weekend it came out and it was very apparent it was not going to yeah, be one no one, no one flocked movies. to go see the cancer movie exactly and then again you look back in retrospect and I'm like the fact that we made a cancer comedy at yeah. that time is fucking insane yeah. and the fact that it was in any way received by like a general public audience is like a miracle yeah. and I didn't appreciate that at the time. <laughs> but even even since that movie came out, everything the film everything's changed so much. Even just since that movie came out, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But a twenty four, which is distributing the movie, they're really good at um, th- this kind of like very point of view driven sort of oh, yeah. artfully done. I mean, they, there's a, there's a specific aesthetic to you yeah. know like it, they're not all the same. It's just. When you see the A24 logo, go, oh, yeah, yeah, this fits in yes. with the yeah. overall story it's like that a they're good, telling. It's like a good record label. It's like you're like, well, I don't, I don't know a bunch about it, but I'm going to check it out yes. because they did they're it. They're geniuses. Yeah. It's incredible to see. Like, we, we are like – basically the reason we became producers was to help control the marketing of our movies because it became just very frustrating to make – movies and then have no control over how they were presented and so that was a lot of like the motivation between us wanting to make a production company in the first place basically and so a24 has been like mind-blowing like it it truly is like a next level like (laughs) approach to marketing and to reaching people and to creative swings and interesting ways of getting the movie out there and it's so well thought out and yeah. well articulated like it's been it's been really like a marvel to to watch and it's made my life very easy <laughs> which is nice <laughs> it's, but the thing is my wife said to me uh she was like oh i saw the trailer for disaster Artist. it looks hilarious and i go yeah but you haven't seen the room yet and she goes Oh, she didn't know what the room was. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's she, good then. She it was, to see the trailer and not I, have anything. That, and you she know. she thought it looked hilarious. And I go, yeah. yeah. But you need to understand how many levels yeah. deep this yeah. goes. Yeah. So I showed her 
Uh, so we watched the trailer together, and it was the scene where Franco comes out and he's doing the line about "I didn't hit her." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and Mark. so I showed her the fr- I showed her a clip of, of that thing. I'm like, "This is the movie that yeah, that yeah. came from," yeah. and she was totally blown away by it. No, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a, yeah, and that was a huge conversation we had. Was and it's great that that is the case because we very much wanted to make a movie that was you know, accessible to people who had never heard of the room. And, and we know that was like a very niche group of people who, who are the last people we need to market to because they'll yeah. fucking probably come to this movie. Yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. And if anything, it's making it a universal idea and making it seem like something or not seem like, because it is that, but making sure people understand it's something that you don't have to be some like fucking comedy hipster to understand. You just have to be someone who's, felt like they should be in a better position than they are in or who's had some dream that seems out of reach that they want to pursue in some way you know um because the themes are very universal and and then on top of that it's just a very like entertaining funny heartfelt movie that that you know franco put a lot of himself into but yeah i mean the fact that they were able to to do that. And with the movie itself, we, we put a lot of thought into that. That's why J.J. Abrams is in the first 30 seconds. Because we're just like, <laughs> if, if you understand he likes this movie, then you don't think, like, then you get culturally among yeah. filmmakers. It's something that is, you know, it's not just a very narrow thing. It's, it's something that um, appeals to a lot of people. And that even if you, it's why there's like the most random collection of people in the opening 30 seconds of the movie. <laughs> it was almost like they were handpicked to like anyone will, any human <laughs> will relate to one of these. That'll, yeah, that's their, that's their way. Exactly. Yeah. And when you see, they like this movie, you then will become invested yeah. in the success of it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, like a lot of people, like I had just started figuring out about Ed Wood before like Tim Burton's Ed Wood came out and, you know, they made like that was a huge studio movie yeah. off of a, like at the time was a very obscure, you know, it was pre internet really of just like a director that just made movies that were terrible. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, we referenced Ed Wood a lot in when as we were kind of putting the movie together. And and that is like I love that movie. And I'd never seen any of Ed Wood's movies before I saw that movie. Yeah. And it like I'd never seen one second of it and it yeah. like completely blew my mind. And Boogie Nights is another movie we talked about a lot in that you just, they just cared so much. They cared yeah, so much. And that's what's, yeah. And, yes. like, and it's so yeah. stupid that yeah. they cared so much, yeah. but it made you care and yeah. it made you, it made, and you cared about them. And so you cared and that, and like to us, that was like the key of the movie. And, and the other thing we talked the most about is like why people like the movie. Like we didn't want to make a movie that was just like that like was just like clowning this guy. That was just like fuck this idiot. He made a yeah. bunch of pieces of shit. Like it was more like of all the bad movies, why is this the one that has been deemed the one that we are making a movie about? Yeah, <laughs> that, right. Like you we couldn't knock its quality too much because it made it what we were doing seem pointless because we're like we're here we're putting a lot of thoughts and energy (laughs) and time into making a movie about this movie there must be something good about it because of all the bad movies you know we're not making like the fucking you know 
know, that like commander space, whatever, the one with Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard. Like, <laughs> we're not making a movie about the making of that movie. Like, yeah. there's a lot of pieces of shit movies that we were not spending a lot of time thinking about. So that was something that we really, you know, put a lot of energy into discussing was like, why are we drawn to this movie? Like, yeah, that's a huge thing, yeah. though, with like bad movies. It's like, you know, uh, Plan 9 is not a well-done movie, but yeah. there's something to it that people keep on going back to. I, I, think yeah. it, I think it has a lot to do with, like, when you see a movie that's not good because it was either lazy or they, they were trying, it's like, yeah. oh, the studio was trying to market to a certain thing or everyone just, but when you see, like, Ed Wood or you watch The Rumor, it's... I think there's a converse, there's a meta conversation that's happening with the audience where the audience is understanding the humanity of yeah. this thing. Yeah. Where they go, there's a, it's like looking at a child's drawing and it doesn't make sense to you, but you know there's a whole fucking universe of yeah. stories going on in that kid's head. Yeah. And so you relate to it in the sense of like, well, I know what it's like to really care about something that maybe <laughs> no one, not everyone else <laughs> yeah. understands. And you can see the way it's played out. I just I feel like <laughs> I have a guess that James Franco probably weirdly understands Tommy Wiseau. Very much so, and he we, he's talked a lot about it. Like James, you know, has been very misunderstood. He's been very pure in his desire to express himself in ways that a lot of people just like have kind of told him like don't do that yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> don't be an artist yeah, exactly like why are you doing that like yeah um and it's all just out of this desire to kind of put himself out there and express himself and have people understand you know his uh, creative sensibility you know and so he totally got it and like heavily related to tommy and 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 it was one of like the most meta, you know, we made a movie where we play ourselves and this was more meta than that, I think. Like, it was one of, it was like, the, there was these moments, because also he directed the movie in character. And I would venture to say, never in the history of Hollywood filmmaking has an actor directed the movie they were starring in while staying in character oh, as the person... They are playing in the movie, which was just fucking weird. On top of that, in the movie, he's directing a movie. So there are yeah. scenes where he's <laughs> acting like he's directing a movie in character while in the movie, in character, he is also directing a movie, which is also fucking weird. <laughs> and so it was like, and then, and, and knowing James and his desire to like do these things that are kind of commenting on themselves and, it's something we've talked a lot about over the years. And, you know, he was one of the first people we told the idea to this in the end, too. And he was so enthusiastic about it and passionate about it that, like, it's so much just in his wheelhouse, these, like, ideas that almost, you know, start eating their own tail and become <laughs> this, like, weird, cyclical, <laughs> meta, like, thing that um, – and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, there was these moments where I was standing on set where I was just like – this is the most James Franco shit we could possibly <laughs> <laughs> we could possibly be doing. Like, but when something's going more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when something is that far out there, when you're making it, you know, are you watching? Going, I think this is working. I hope this cuts together. You know, like it, or uh, do you do you know when it's happening that it's? You never know, honestly. But it felt, um, it felt like it was working, and it felt like. The emotional story was clear enough that it could support all this other weird shit. And that was something that, like, 
you know, me and Evan were on set like throughout the whole filming, and also because like we know, I know it's it, it's not easy to act in scenes and direct, and it is you want people there to kind of help you and guide you. And when I'm acting, you know, I in the scenes even while we were filming uh, the interview and this is the end, like Franco would help me a lot with my performance and was not shy about sharing his opinions on that. um, It was because we have that environment established. It was something me and Evan were constantly monitoring and imploring in Franco is like, make sure in every scene we have like a very emotionally grounded moment where Tommy's not just so fucking weird that yeah. you're like, who is this guy? And that you feel bad for him and you see, you get that he's sad and not just weird and not just malicious. Um, I remember it was like sad Tommy moments. We would always be like, we need, <laughs> like, we need more sad Tommy moments. Did you hang uh, out with him at all? Yeah. Because he seems, <laughs> he seems. My friend, my one of my best friends, April, is so is obsessed with the room to the extent that she's seen him speak numerous times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, "It's weird. He won't really talk about how old he is. He won't no. really talk about where he's from. Where he's he from won't really talk money. about his past. He won't like. There's just a lot of weird mystery. There's yeah. a lot of weird mystery. And is that is that part of who he is or yeah. is that part of a, a, a you know like part of a, is he aware of it and I guess I would ask the same question about James Franco is James Franco aware of the character of James Franco like yeah. when, you're, when you're talking to him are you like wait are you are we talking or are you doing an art yeah. piece right now James Franco's very aware of the character of James Franco <laughs> um, I don't with Tommy, it's like I was. I mean, at the premiere, it, like it's endlessly fucking fascinating to me. Like at the premiere last night, I was just looking at him, being like, "This guy's like at the premiere of a movie we made about the making of his movie, which and this movie's being very well received. His movie was not well received, <laughs> but." He got famous enough that we all made this movie about him yeah. for the complete opposite reason that he wanted us to make the movie. But here he is at this thing where we expose the fact in our movie that he did not make the movie he was trying to make. But he's still here at this thing pretending so, that he made the movie so yeah. that really, he was trying to make. It's yeah. so fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of levels to it. <laughs> well, it, makes it, it, really, it really sort of challenges the idea of like what is success. Yeah. Like does that yeah. – you know, it didn't necessarily succeed the way he wanted, he to. wanted to or did it. Yeah. Because – Well, that's what I was also looking at him last night being like – it almost seemed as though he always knew this was going to happen. <laughs> like it, like he almost doesn't, doesn't seem surprised. Yeah, like it's like of the, course. This there, is yes, it, it's almost like of course, and it should have happened five years yeah, ago. Yeah. It's also like kind of uh, the, the vision board had this yeah. happening yeah. in exactly. two thousand nine. Like, that's the other weird thing is like you feel as though he's like, of course we are at movie about making of my movie. Like what else would you do? Yeah, like this is what you do. They yeah. make movies about the making of the greatest movie. And it almost revalidates his original inspiration, his original goal in some ways, you know, it's so fucking strange. It's yeah. like, and, and it continues to unfold in a fascinating way, even as the movie is being released. And, and he's as, got a new, new movie out. Yeah. Like, too. And then, like, it played at Beyond Fest, and I, I didn't go that night, but everyone's like, it's pretty good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bad for his brand. It's bad for his brand. The worst thing. Stan brand, man. Uh, <laughs> it's the last thing he should be doing is making good movies. <laughs> but it's, it's sort of this interesting, it's this interesting thing that's happening with art now 
especially with the internet of just like how it evolves. It's sort of like you know the room is almost, is almost like it's like someone, a meme. It's yeah. a meme. Yeah. It's, it's like, like it's, first, yeah. <laughs> it's like if someone if someone made like a really bad MS Paint dinosaur and then a, and then someone like Alex Ross like painted the dinosaur yeah. Yeah. like what it what that would look like. And so just seeing the like the the evolution of expression and seeing it pass their hands, it does kind of make you go, okay. Is it a great movie? No, but is it a great movie? Yes, yeah. because it inspired all these people, There's and so it's artistic. Yeah. There is something great about it, and that is like the thing that, like i I was one of the most vocal cheerleaders of as we were again writing the movie and putting it together. Was like the thing we cannot lose sight of is we are making a fucking movie about this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> there, we can't pretend it just sucks because it doesn't. We wouldn't be doing this if it did. Yeah. We are ignoring reality if we just pretend it's, it's bad because it's not, it's not what he wanted it to be, but it's not bad. Yeah. It's bad, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not in and of itself, not worthy of enjoyment and not, um, not endlessly captivating and entertaining yeah. in ways that things that are far more praised are not, you know, but you like, can't, you can't yeah. approach something like this with cynicism. You have to, yeah. you have to celebrate it and enjoy it. Like there was, I was reading that uh, Mel Brooks book about Young Frankenstein, and he like he just like he's like you can't you have to be a fan of a thing you're parodying. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you can't just come out of going making fun of it because it's like isn't this shitty? Because then no one, everyone's going like yeah, it's shitty. So why do you care if it's shitty? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that with this was like it was the easiest hole to keep to fall into over and over and over was yeah. to just make fun of it and to just be like. Look, it sucks. Like yeah. this guy made a shitty movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the thing that but did he? I don't know. That's the thing. Why have I seen it ten times if it's so shitty? <laughs> like did it I end just up? don't know. Is, is there some sort explain. of a figure of like how much did the room gross? Because it ran It's in profits. Yeah, because yeah. he he does not release that. Information. He doesn't release that information. No. But yeah. but he is he's the, the still, Netflix of humans. He is still yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's still the only way to get it. Like Yeah. It's unavailable. Like you can't order it from anywhere, but you have to go to like a con and get it. God from him. damn it! He's a fucking genius. And now he's got like ties and belts and Tons clothes. And, yeah. Well, now it's it's, yeah. it's there. I mean, it, he didn't release it in tandem with with. They Zastros? are doing screenings and stuff like that, but it's not like it's not. He's, he's <laughs> yeah, he's very proprietary over it. <laughs> Was he happy with how this one came out? Yes, he said he was ninety nine point nine percent on his own Rotten Tomatoes side. Yes. He's, he's changed his answer a few times on what the point one percent is, Jeez. which just demonstrates his weird ability to reframe reality. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he first saw it at South by Southwest, and it was it was crazy because he had not seen the movie. No one had really seen the movie. We had done like very small screenings. And then we were, and it wasn't done, and we were premiering it at South by Southwest, and Tommy was there. And there was going to be like a Q&A after, and the whole debate was like, do we invite him up for the Q&A oh, or not? Oh, he showed up. Yeah, because he was him. there. We knew he was going to be, we, we weren't 100% sure he was going to come, because he's 
a wild card in general. <laughs> so we showed up. It sounds like yeah. you're at a zoo where you're like, we don't know if Simba's going to come exactly. out. But yeah. maybe That's exactly you... right. And so he was there. And then we were like the whole time. We're like, do we invite him up at the end? I don't know. Because like he could have. We didn't know what he was going to say. So like there was a chance he was just got up and be like, fuck this movie. These people ruined like lie. None of uh. this true. Which would have just fucked the movie <laughs> yeah, completely. Because yeah. <laughs> um, no one wants to see a true story that the guy it's about is walking around saying it's not fucking true. Unless yes. it's him. And maybe that would have been the best press. So the movie ended and we all go up there and and it was clear that it played very well, which was nice. And um and there was a moment where someone in the, the audience like noticed, started to notice that Tommy was there basically. And you could see people starting to <laughs> like like it kind of spread throughout the theater a little bit. And then the end of this movie is like literally a theater full of people chanting Tommy's name and inspiring him to get up and go on stage. And that's exactly what happened (laughs) is the theater started chanting Tommy, Tommy. And you could see he didn't want to get up, which we thought was because he didn't like the movie. And we were like, fuck what the, now they're like making him come down here. and He's going to talk shit about us. And and then he came down and everyone was going crazy and and he just kind of waved and didn't say anything. But then afterwards he told us that he loved the movie 99.9%. He was very shy. He's like very shy at times. But what are the odds that he that one of these days he's just going to go, uh, actually, my name is Chad Turner. Yeah, I'm exactly. from Boeing. <laughs> like, Zero. The, <laughs> <laughs> so you buy, you buy into yes. – what is your working theory on him? Do you have a theory on him and what his story might be? I think he's Eastern European. I think I don't know. Honestly, beyond that, that's all I got. Isn't that crazy? You made a movie about a guy that you actually don't really know that much about, yeah. no. except for just the thing he made. And I think I uh, yeah I I don't know where I actually don't know where his money came from. It could have been. I, I know it wasn't this like jean shit. Like he was selling like counterfeit jeans or some shit like that. That's where he says it's from. I I know it's not from that because I don't think you make millions and millions of dollars doing that. <laughs> but is it some? Do you think um, it's? Do you think he inherited or is it some like weird like stolen Hitler art or like yeah, exactly something, something really it's shady like Klimt painting? Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, no, I have no idea. I don't know if he has any family. So I. I it's the, I honestly have no we've talked about it endlessly. Jeez. I have no idea. We have no um we feel like yeah, maybe he inherited it. That's like a that's a good running theory is that he inherited yeah. it. Maybe someone gave it to him. Maybe he's like Banksy. He's a collective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. like he's, nine he's guys. Guys. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I really don't know. I don't know how old he is. And I assume he's from Eastern Europe. That's the best yeah. I got on that one. Yeah. And did you guys had to because I, there, there was a book that yeah. inspired the movie, but then did you, did you, were you legally required to deal with him at all, or did you just do, did you just deal with him to just kind of get more background for the movie? Um, we were because we needed to license the movie itself. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and the music from the movie yeah. and the the score of I the mean, movie. Did you have to and pitch the, him? Did you have to go sit in front of him and go, here's what we want to do? Ta- uh, Franco early on had a call with Greg and Tommy. Greg and Tommy are still very good friends, though. So it wasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't like a big challenge to overcome. <laughs> but I think 
I think Tommy was excited that Franco was going to direct the movie, but he wanted Johnny Depp to play him. <laughs> <laughs> and then Franco was like, I don't think we'll get Johnny Depp. And he's like, okay, maybe you could do it then. <laughs> well, he did such a great job, though. He played, he, he's, so, he's so sincere. Yeah. Yeah. Franco's good. We we were just talking about like his one his greatest skill as an actor is making like really weird characters very likable. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and on paper really he's, on paper he's too strikingly handsome to be. Yeah. It's almost like you, you like part of the magic, part of the prestige of James Franco was like you're too attractive to have yeah. that much depth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. too attractive to be, to be that, that arty. Yeah. Which I know is a very narrow-minded thing to say, but just it but when, adds but up, though. but but <laughs> when you sort of look at the archetype of what you're normally used to, what we're normally presented with, and I think that's why he's so confounding to people because it's like, wait a minute, you have a tremendous amount of depth for someone yeah. that really could just be a leading a leading man. If yeah, you wanted to and be. he also doesn't take himself like too seriously. Like he's willing to do like he. There is very few people that are actually as funny as he is that are also as good an actor as he is. Yeah. Like there's almost nobody like it that I've that I've seen. You know, there are people who are funny and like you know, or or who are good at committing to a character, but to be able to to be able to be in it enough to be because. In order to improvise great comedy, you kind of have to have one foot outside of it a little bit. Like, yeah. it's hard. I've seen it's hard for actors who are the type of actor who are so fully committed to something. It's hard for them to improvise comedy sometimes because you have to be a little looking at it from the outside, having some element of awareness of, like, what would an audience laugh at at this moment? Yeah. Right. Not just what would I do truthfully in this moment. Um, in order to make, like, jokes, you know? Right. Great jokes. And Franco is, I mean, maybe the only person I've ever worked with who, like, is able to give the performance of an actor that is 100% committed but is also has, like, one toe outside of it enough to look in and be able to come up with, like, comedic jokes yeah, you know and like the within the character um yeah. it's really not something that a lot of people can do <laughs> so are you guys working you're doing all the press for this this i know this comes out is it december 1st does disasters come out i december think 8th or Dece- I, I can't remember i think it's the first maybe it's the first maybe it's limited the first and then wide the eighth there you go let's uh, i'll tell you I've exactly never had a platform release i don't know how they do it it, is, uh, <laughs> it says it's in theaters december 1st there you go yeah so there you go. And then does it come out on VOD right at like pretty soon after that? No. No, it's like you're going to do a it's big It's like a real movie in theaters, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but they are doing that now. Like they are simultaneously releasing yeah. VOD and theatrical releases. They are. Yeah. We felt very strongly that because it's a movie about a guy who made a movie and put it in theaters and the climax of the movie is in a theater and so much of it is geared towards these guys' dreams of seeing themselves in the big screen that it should be a movie that you have the opportunity to see in a movie theater and that that be it's hopefully the main way people who are who are excited to see it ingest it because um, we thought that was just the best way to watch it. And so we, yeah, I mean, like, 
it's a very personal decision, I think. We make, you know, we just produced a movie for Netflix and the people who made that movie, the directors and the writers and stars were all 100% comfortable with it. So, um, and then we are, are producing other movies where the writers and directors and stars are like, no, we want this to be in theaters. So it really is like a case-by-case case thing and really is like a very personal thing. There's not even a lot of logic to it, I find sometimes some people are just like, I don't mind, or I want this, or I don't want this. Mm-hmm. And this was a movie that, for whatever reason, we all were like, it should be in theaters. Isn't yeah. it crazy though when you work for Netflix? So, and I, I, I think this would kind of either be good or bad. Maybe it's kind of interesting as an artist because you can't get hung up on stuff. You'll probably never know how it does. Never, yeah, yeah. it's weird. You'll never, they'll never tell you how they'll never tell you how it does. So you kind of just go, oh, we made this thing, and it's and, weird. And normally. Because we have so few real benchmarks for yeah. really understanding, like, are we being successful? Which sort of ties back to the Wazo thing. Are we being successful? I guess enough people saw this. It made X number of dollars. And then this, but with Netflix, it's like, well, we made it. I guess that's just going to have to be good enough. It's kind of nice. I mean, I've talked to people about, you know, weighing the pros and cons of making movies for Netflix. And I think it's a pro or a con. Like when I make movies, you're basically worried about two things. Is it going to get good reviews? And is it going to make money? And when you make a movie for Netflix, you only are worried about one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Is it going to get good reviews? Because you're never going to learn about the other thing. And so, um, in a way, I guess that's nice that you are removing one of the two things to worry about. But at the same time, you're also removing one of the two, uh, rewards of of your efforts, you know, yeah. and and if you make a movie in theaters that does really well, you are capturing, um, you know, it, it, it's very traditional. But for me, just because I grew up watching movies and going to theaters, like there's something about that as it relates to how I personally like to express myself. That I want my movies to be in theaters, the ones that I'm writing and directing um, at this moment, you know, but. At the same time, I 100% understand not wanting that or or just being – or that being your only option, which I very much am sympathetic to. <laughs> are, you, are you coming to pull him away this second? Cool. <laughs> and then we just wasted him there by asking. <laughs> <That was Yeah. laughs> How about just give us uh, three minutes to wrap to, 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 to – just give us three minutes to like, glide this in for a landing. They should show the disaster artist at the Sunset Five in perpetuity. They should just always have it they be should. playing there. Yeah. That'd be amazing. It well, just be in double theaters should be the room. Yeah, the room and the yeah, disaster artist at the same yeah. time. Which one? Which one? If if someone has not seen the room, do you recommend they see the room first and then disaster artist, or the other way around? I really don't know. It's a good question. I was thinking about it. It it might be more. It kind of works either way. If you've seen The Room, you will definitely want to see the movie. If you haven't seen The Room, you'll come out of The Disaster Artist and really want to see it. (laughs) Um, But I've shown the movie to a lot of people who haven't seen it. And and we almost geared it more, in a way, towards people who hadn't seen it because we knew that was the majority of people, you know? And so... If we were going to err on any side, it was more erring on the side of trying to make it for people who had no idea what it was. And part of me thinks it's almost more gratifying in a way if you don't know the results completely. Right. Because then there is an element of mystery as to exactly what's going to happen, you know, Um, and exactly how it'll play out. And I feel like if you know, then, then, you know, it's not, it's not as surprising in some ways, but it is just incredibly insightful to see, it almost like decodes the movie in a weird way. It's like all these things that seem like random nonsense, 
you start to realize like, oh, there's a reason for it. Like yeah. there's a reason he threw the bottle. The reason his pockets <laughs> are full of stuff. The reason that like it's like it's all actually very like it is very motivated just in, in a way that's invisible without context. <laughs> and do you and do you know if that was all true was that was some of it uh, embellished or do you know that like these were all the real things that happened? It's largely true. I mean there were some little things but it's mostly it's mostly based on what happened. Yeah. And then lastly uh cuz you're doing you're you're in the midst of a junket today which I always feel and I know you don't feel good either so yeah. doing a junket when you kind of have a cold. It's great. It's <laughs> what you're Slide hoping for, yeah. It's, it's hard enough to focus at a junket when you're in perfect health. Exactly, yeah. But then when your head's a little swimming, you're like, yeah. what did I just what is say? Happening? What did I, I just say? Did I say anything yeah. crazy? Are people going to be upset about anything? But uh, uh, what do you, is there anything you're working on right now that you're super, super, super excited about? I mean, are you working on five, ten different things? I'm, I'm filming a movie right now in Montreal uh, with Charlize Theron, a romantic comedy, an R-rated romantic comedy directed Fantastic. by John Levine. I think it might, like, yeah, I was like, and it's like, uh, it's kind of like a big romantic comedy movie, which they don't really make anymore. <laughs> so that'll either be really good for us or really bad for us. But I think it's, I think it's very, I'm very excited about it. And I, it, we've been filming for a few weeks and... Uh, it feels incredibly hilarious. So it's Good. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think at this point, I don't know if you feel like when you finish a project, like, well, that was probably the last one. I don't know if we're going to do it again. <laughs> I never know. But <laughs> I think, I think you'd probably, I think you'd probably have to have like 15 bombs in a row. Like, it, like I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't, at this point, it'd have to be behavioral. It would have to be behavioral. <laughs> yes, it would have to be behavioral. <laughs> Let me just say, I, I love you so much. Please don't turn out to be I'm a douchebag. Nice. <laughs> Please. Going. I can guarantee Every morning when I look at the news, I'm like, oh, Christ, who is it today? No, who, what monster's been I unmasked? Like, I've been like, I've been debating like putting out like a notice where you're just like, don't worry about me. <laughs> I, I, was like, I don't want to occupy attention at this moment, but just know that actors are gonna, I'll be okay. Actors are going to start putting out political cads like, hey, Seth Rogen, he's okay. Yeah, exactly. Don't you Fine. worry. Don't worry remember, I'm still you know, out there just I dated nice. Seth Rogen in 1998, <laughs> yeah. and he was a gem. <laughs> Exactly. No, Brought to you by I'll the Citizens fine. for Seth Rogen. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be good. Good. Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. No, that. Thank uh, you. See you, Seth. Enjoy you your burrito. Too. Appreciate it. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts